0: Good evening. It is good that we have able to meet again on this day to worship our Heavenly Father. As I mentioned this morning about our unique thing with me and Rick, following him at Wheeler Hill and preceding him here, there's one other thing I like about Rick This when I talked when we was here last time and I told him so. I like him for one reason. He moves around when he's preaching. <laughs> and I like a guy that moves around. At least I'm not alone when it comes to doing that. And by the way, there better be some Diet Coke downstairs because I want a Coke float. (laughs) Yeah, good, good. This morning we began by looking at a passage of Scripture when we asked the question, what does the God of heaven read? And we looked at Revelation 20 and verse 12, which remind us simply there that if we look around the throne of God as all that were gathered before Him, it simply said that God opened, had the books, and open another book, which was called the book of life. And he tells us there that all the dead were judged out of those things that were contained in those books. This morning we begin looking at what we call the book of deeds, that is, God's recording of everything that we do. And using our modern terminology, that simply means 24-7, 365. Anything that we do, everything we do, thoughts, actions, deeds, words, whatever, are recorded by the God of heaven in this book called the Book of Deeds. We also remind ourselves, and that's called God, our book in God's hands, then we look at the Book of the Scriptures, which is God's book in our hands. And we realize it is the textbook, it is that which we are to go by in order to know what to do to become a child of God, but only that is it tells us how to live as a child of God, that our lives will always be in harmony with the will of God and what He teaches us to be. This evening we want to look at the third book. This one we know as simply what we might call the book of names or the Lamb's book of life. This is God's book in God's hands. Notice the difference. This morning this was man's book in God's hand, God's book in our hands. This one is God's book in God's hands. We could also look at this book and realize in it the names of all of those who have obeyed the gospel of Christ. We could call this the book it lets us know whether or not we pass the quiz, as it were, that we pass the test, that we followed the book that God give unto us, and we it's either pass or fail. We either go into heaven or we're not. That's that, all that book's gonna remind us of that one fact when we stand before Him. We also know it as simply what we call the Book of Remembrance. That it, it is the Book of Remembrance of God that He has written down all the names that fear Him and have loved Him and obeyed Him all through the years of life. And we said a moment ago, it's also known several times in the Book of Revelation, simply the Lamb's Book of Life. And so this book is unique in the fact that God adds a name to this book every time a sinner comes forward and responds to the precious invitation and says unto all that are here on that occasion, I want to be a child of God. I want to obey what is necessary to become one. And when they have complied to God's requirements or God's commands to do so, then we realize God adds that name to the book of life from Acts 2 and verse 47. Isn't that the beauty? We don't add it. God does. That is the beauty of this book of names that is in God's hands. And so when we look at that scriptural baptism that's preceded by the commands of believing and repenting and confession, it also involves the fact that name stays in that book of life as long as that individual lives according to the will of God, who follows their life, the rest they with faithful worship unto God. Not only that is, they live their lives before others as we talked about this morning, and helping others as they live on the face of the earth and abounding in what we would call the good works. Those things which children of God, of, by God Himself, have required of us to do as His children. But we must be aware of something. And what we must be aware of is this. God's pencil has a point to write that pencil also has an eraser. Because He can blot us out. And when we think about that for a moment, and you realize and understand that, that's a very sobering thing to think about. To realize that we can be added to that book by God when we've obeyed His commands to, uh, to become a child of God, live as a child of God, and when we find ourselves returning back to the world to realize God blots us out. The Apostle Peter wrote in his second epistle a passage that is familiar to every one of us. In that second chapter, in verse 20, it begins saying, "...for after they have escaped the defilements of this world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ..." They are again entangled in them and overcome the last state as has become worse for them than the first. For you see, it would have been better for them not to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true uh, true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow that's being washed it returns to wallowing in the mire or the mud." Revelation twenty two nineteen puts it a little plainer. If anyone takes away from the word of the, the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. When you think about that for a moment, that is sobering to realize that God, can, God adds us to that book when we obey a, and become a child of God, but just as quickly if we disobey, it's gone. Lotted out. No wonder Paul would tell his brethren at Philippi, when he writes to them and mentions the fact that he talks about Clement and some other fellow laborers, he says, has their name written in the book of life in Philippians 4 and verse 3. From that statement, then we're not surprised that he would write afterwards, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Why does he talk about Why should we be rejoicing? Because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a privilege and honor to have that said to even these people. Your name is in the book of life. Look, pre- previously seeing that... He talks about two ladies, and he mentions them by name when he calls them Eutychus and Syntyche and says they need to learn to get along with each other. Why, Paul? Because both of their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, they're going to be together in heaven. So he warns them to be careful, learn to love one another, and cooperate, because you're there. Your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a privilege. Well, what action do we need in order to make sure that our names are written in that Lamb's book of life, as we call it? We need to recognize, first of all, that God knows our name. Everyone understands what a name is. A name describes something. We understand we call this a pulpit. We understand when we use that word what we're talking about. When we talk about seeing it in the time of the church service, we say we sit in a pew. Every one of us know what we're talking about. We talk about the carpet on the floor or whatever. Those things are descriptive. When it comes to a human being, every human being has a name. And if you look it up, sometimes you'll find people, other people besides you have the same name. But everybody has a name. What does that name do? It makes you distinctive. Now, everyone knows who you are by the fact they know by your name. I am Preston Edmondson. You know, J.C. Watkins. That's how we know who each other is. If we understand that, then that name is a description, a way of identifying ourselves, and having a name signifies that we are a living human being, then we're not surprised then because of having a name. We do count as far as God's concerned. Number two, there are no forgotten people as far as God is concerned, because God notes every living human being. He knows us by name. And the unique thing that makes it so understandable to us for that very fact is found in Psalms 147 and verse 4. The staggering reminder that God knows every name of every star that occupies the heavens. Then we should not be surprised that God knows every one of us by name. Now, we, as human beings, stagger at that thought because we can just barely pick out which one the North Star is, or what we call it sometimes Venus and them, it shine at night. At times, we're absolutely lucky if we can remember who each other is at times. But to realize God is simply saying, I know that every star in heaven has a name. Every human being that's ever lived on this earth has a name, and I know it. So recognize, first of all, God knows who we are. Secondly, we need to learn to strive to have a good name. Here's something that sometimes we don't ever tend to think about. Did you realize that we were born with a good name? And God lets us decide what we're going to do with that name. It's our decision. We're born with a good name. God says, I'll let you choose how you want that name to be remembered. So when you live your life, when your life is over, what's people going to remember? That you were a good person? That you tried to live a good life? You tried to help others? That you were a, t- a church attender in their own general sense of thinking of things? Or they remember you as that guy that murdered so-and-so or robbed stores. There's so many people we are reminded of in history who will only be remembered for those things. In other words, would you rather be remembered as a faithful child of God or like Judas, a betrayer? <laughs> we have a good name. God allows us to choose what we want to do with it. It is the wise man, Solomon, who reminded us, a good name is to be chosen, he says, rather than great riches. And favor is better than gold and silver. Or we could say if you had all the world's wealth, a good name is more than any of that. So thirdly, we must make sure that our names are on God's list. When you were born, your name's on a birth certificate. It was fixed up at the hospital when you were born. It gives the day you were born. It gives the name that your parents says you'll be going by. It gives you weight. It gives the day and the time you were born. You have a birth certificate. Social Security wa- office in Washington. Your name is listed there because you got that nine-digit Social Security number. Your name is written in a state file. It's from coming out of some state trooper's office because at sixteen or afterwards you got your driver's license. Your name's at the courthouse for one or both of two things. The day you got married and the day you bought that house is recorded at the courthouse. Through the years, as time has passed, all of us realize and understand that our names end up on a whole lot of lists. Lists that we do want to be on. Because these are good lists. We want to be a part of whatever that list is organization is having reference to. And there are times our names are on lists we don't want them to be on. And sometimes we wonder, how did they get there? We didn't do this. We didn't apply for this or whatever. But we still find our names on lists we do not want to be on. But here's the question you need to ask yourself. This one's more important than all of the others. Has your name been recorded on a church record where you were baptized into Christ and added by the God of heaven in the book of the Lamb? That's the thing we need to make sure of. We need to ever make sure that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Because if we refuse, it's not going to be there. And when we stand before Him in judgment, it will realize we have failed the course. What a horrible thing to think about. But again, we ask this question because it is part of that as well. And that is, how do we get our name written in God's book of the names? We've already said this, but we'll repeat it again because it's still true. It is better to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life than it is to have your name on the largest check ever written. Now the world would turn and tell me, you're crazy as a loon. I'd rather have the check. What? Speaking of things we talked about this morning that are on things which are what? Temporary. Which we realize in heaven we can live forever. did not make any sense, but that's the way the world looks at it. But that being in that role is more important on the... Che- uh, a check ever written. Why? But how do we do it? Well, we know we have no access to that book. We've already said it's God's books in God's hand. We know where God is at, and we don't, we don't have the ability to go there right now. So we ask ourselves, how? We have no access, authority to write. Our name's on there. We can sign checks. We can order forms, letters, whatever. But we cannot register ourselves in the uh, Lamb's Book of Life. We can't buy it. We can't bribe to get our way there. Because as we've already said, another person has to write that name in there for you. But whose hand is it? We've already talked about this two or three times. Whose name is it? Whose hand has the ability to add our name to the Lamb's book of life? It is the God of heaven was that not exactly what Luke said when he ended, as we divide up in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, praising God, you know, praising God having favor of all the people. And it was the Lord who did the adding. It was the Lord who wrote the name down in that Lamb's book of life. It is the privilege of the Godhead to have our name written there. It is the privilege of the Godhead to rejoice on the fact that we have become a child of God. But again, in order for that to happen, God through His Son has laid down some conditions of which we must meet or else we cannot enter or have our name written there. Number one, God has reminded us through His Son that no man can enter this kingdom without a correct standard of righteousness. In other words, Christ reminded us in John 12, 48 anyone who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. It is the word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. Notice at the beginning of this that God's already told us, in order to have your name written in my book, first of all, you must accept the teaching, not reject it. You must accept the fact this is the gospel of Christ. You must accept the fact this is where you're going to find out how to become a child of God and live as one, nowhere else. But also we add to that, no one can enter this kingdom without believing in Him. John chapter 1, as he begins his marvelous defense of the Godship of Jesus Christ, in verse 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Notice in that statement, he said, those who believe. That word there is a word that represents and stands for the entire plan of salvation. In other words, those who complied to the teachings of Jesus Christ are the ones who have the right, the privilege of being called a child of God when they comply to that terms. But also no one can enter that kingdom without acknowledging the fact that He is the King of all kings. Why did He say, if that's not the case, why did He tell us in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, that everyone who confesses Me before men, I will confess before My Father who is in heaven. But if anyone denies Me before men, I will deny Him before My Father who is in heaven. There's no middle road. It's either one or the other. We either confess and acknowledge the fact that he is the Son of God or we deny it. One or the other. And Christ says, I will take and do whichever you comply. But again, we realize as Nicodemus sitting in that upper in that room with him on that night, that he reminded Nicodemus that no one can enter the kingdom without being born again of water and of the Spirit. Which means simply they Only when we are baptized in accordance with the Scripture's teaching can we ever have our name written to the Lamb's book of life. And another thing, no one can enter this kingdom without having that forgiving spirit. Having that forgiving attitude. We know from Matthew 18, beginning with 23 through 35. But also no one can enter that kingdom who's also not willing to help others. The scene of the judgment of Matthew 25 beginning with verse 31. These are things which we know and understand. These things are found in the Word of God, proof for every one of them. This is what necessary to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But if these are the requirements, then we also realize there are conditions to the kingdom of God which be hindrances to some people and refuse to obey it. One of the greatest is called simply indecision. Indecision. Christ said it simply this way. No man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Reminded of that statement of kind of indecision, not being sure if I want to really lead the world or not was the... Was the stony ground where they came up rapidly and then blew away. They were on fire for a while, but they, as they, they kept looking back and looking at what they left in the world and kept seeing what their friends, and all of a sudden, they just walk away. They walk away. It's sad when we see Christians, young people, or older people who become children of God and on fire for God and want to do what He wants them to do, and yet. When they start doing this, we know we begin to lose them when they go back to indecision. Stubbornness. That's another thing that hinders people from the invitation. You remember those in the wedding feast and the other feast that Christ talked about in Matthew 22 and Luke 14? When He invited them and they make up all kinds of of excuses and other things and stubbornness that they, they didn't refuse the invitation to come to that feast. Christ said, people will be stubborn. I, I'm not giving up my life. No one's telling me what to do. No one I'm not turning my life over to anyone else. No one has control over me but me. I'm the one who will determine my destiny. How dare you tell me to turn my life over to somebody else? I ain't. Uh-uh. I'm going to live my life my way. Too stubborn to yield. Carelessness. We're familiar when we say this, the first thing that always comes to mind is the five foolish virgins. They started out like the others with great intentions. They had prepared themselves. They thought for everything that was necessary that would be ready for they'd be ready when the bridegroom came and they had, they were all prepared uh, but not quite, were they? Why? They didn't allow themselves to be prepared in case he what? delayed in coming. And when he didn't show up when they thought he was supposed to, they run out of oil. And when he did come, and later they knock on the door him, and in and says, Sorry, you cannot enter. You should have been ready when I did arrive. They were not allowed to enter. All that preparation fell short because they didn't work all the way to the end. Procrastination is another one. They know it's a hindrance. We realize people says, I know I need to become a child of God. I know I need to straighten up my life. I've even heard this one it procrast- using the area of procrastination. Let me see if I can live it first before I become one. In other words, let me test it out first, see if I can live the Christian life. Then if I can, I'll put it off long enough, and I'll, if I think I can do it, I'll obey the gospel of Christ. It's almost the same argument people use, living together instead of getting married. They want to see if they can do it first, then go do it. Makes you shake your head, doesn't it? The two great examples of this is Agrippa when he said to the Apostle Paul, Almost... (laughs) Paul, you don't know how close you got me to do it, but mm -mm, I just can't give it up. Almost. Was it not Felix who told him when I find that convenient time? Maybe the next invitation song that's sung, I'll do it. Maybe we'll wait till next Sunday morning to do it, or next Wednesday night. I'll wait and put it off, you know, because I'm not right now, I'm not quite ready yet. Procrastination. But you see, all these are hindrances, but the main reason and the main hindrance is this. It is sin because it is the ultimate roadblock. In Revelation 21, 27, John, there as he begins to write of that final scene, so far says, "...but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those..." who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Sin is the thing that will keep people out of heaven. Why? Because they do not want to give it up. Plain, pure, and simple. They don't want to give it up. The world's too enticing. The world has offered them so much pleasure, they just cannot and will not walk away. As we said this morning, and we say again this evening, if you knew you had to take a test upon which your life depended, how hard would you study? How much preparation would you put in for that test? And we said, Would you burn that midnight oil? Will you work with others together that we could work and make sure we had the right answers to be able to pass that test? As we said then, we say again this evening, there is a test all of us are going to have to face. And that is the test at the end of time at judgment. As we said, the judgment day is not a pop quiz. It is the fact the Judgment Day simply says the test is over. The life is ended. I have hit stop on that record button. All will stand before me in judgment. And the book of life is either a pass or a fail. This evening, if you are not a child of God, even as we said this morning, things are still ready. The world is still standing. Our Heavenly Father has not brought it to an end. The opportunity is yours. He's already reminded you what it needs to be do, what needs to be done to become a child of God. We're simply waiting for you to respond. Are you willing to do that this evening? Are you willing this evening to become a child of God and have God Himself add your name to the Book of Life? Here's the opportunity to do that very thing. But it's even if you're a child of God whose name was there but you've walked back into the world of sin. You've looked back. You've took your hands off the plow, as it were. And you know by the life you live now, God has blotted you out because sin has separated you from Him. Here's the opportunity to return to Him. Ask His forgiveness. You're His child. He's still waiting in that road, waiting for you to come home. He just simply says, Come. I'll love you. I'll brace you. When you repent, I'll forgive you. And that precious blood of my Son will blot those things out. Think on that while together as we stand and while we we're sing. Singing.